0: I'm Chris Clink and you're listening to my Writing Table podcast. Brown is the author of six novels, the number one bestseller, Recipe for a Perfect Wife, Come Away With Me, a Globe and Mail Best Book of 2015, Globe and Mail and Toronto Star Bestsellers, The Choices We Make in This Moment, The Life Lucy Knew, and the recently released rom-com, The Holiday Swap, which she co-wrote with Marissa Stapley exactly. under the pen name Maggie Knox. She is also the author of the non-fiction bestseller, The 4% Fix, How One Hour Can Change Your Life. An award-winning journalist, Karma has been Published in Self, Red Book, and Today's Parent, among others. She lives just outside Toronto with her husband, daughter, and a Labradoodle named Fred.
1: Welcome, Karma. Thank you so much for having me. Really happy to be here.
0: I love your name. Is it a pen name or is it your real name?
1: Oh, it is my real name. My parents were hippies, 72. So I was born right at the time where a name like Karma would be perfectly normal. Um, it was not normal growing up in the '80s to have a name. My mom desperately wanted to call her baby Karma, so she was very glad I was a girl because
0: back then there were no ultrasounds. Of course, that's how I got it. You've had and continue to have a very rich career. How did it begin?
1: Uh, you know, I'm not even totally sure how it began. I had finished university and was working in consulting, and knew I wanted to go back to school. I had always wanted to be a news anchor, so that was my goal. And in my late 20s, I decided to go back and do a journalism degree, which I did. And the plan was always to become like Katie Couric of the North, which is what I said, because I'm in Canada. So I thought I could be the Katie Cork of Canada. And I went and did my broadcast journalism degree. And of course, I, I learned magazine writing while I was there. It's part of the program. So I was planning to be a news anchor. That was my goal. And then on my last day of journalism school, I was actually diagnosed with cancer. I was 30 and it Obviously, completely turned my life upside down. And I went into treatment, and it was not the time to be branching out and trying to become a news anchor at that point. So I did go back to the company that I was working with prior to going to journalism school, and I started doing communications and marketing with them. And then I decided it was time for me to go back into journalism, to use my degree. And I started writing freelance, uh, mostly for magazine. And I found out I loved that. I really, truly never considered being a writer ever. You know, sometimes life has different ideas for you about what you need to be doing. So I started freelancing, loved it, did that for a few years before I actually moved into fiction, which again was a, I wonder if I could take this idea and turn it into a novel. I mean, how different can it be from a a magazine article? And it's quite different, but that was the trajectory. So somehow the person who said she was never going to be a writer is now a writer.
0: Wasn't there something about like with your cancer that your sister was your surrogate? Yeah. And you had sister- written about it, correct?
1: Yes. I had written about it for a magazine article. I, I wrote about frozen embryos, which mm-hmm. is what my daughter was before she ended up being, she was frozen for five years before she became the lovely human she is now here with us. So my sister was our surrogate and that's how we have our daughter. And it so really, I did, I wrote about story. that. Yeah, it really is. And, you know, I I've told that story so many times and I forget sometimes how impactful it can be for people because it's just part part of my story in my life. And I have written about it and talked about it. And I've had people cry. And then I always feel badly like, Oh, I'm sorry. I write, this is, this can be a very emotional story, but you know, like anything, it kind of just becomes part of your fabric and then doesn't carry that same
0: emotional weight, the same way. Tell me about your new rom-com, The Holiday Swap.
1: Yes. So I am one of those authors who... I guess, I think I started having a brand and now I don't have a brand and I'm not even sure. I just am writing (laughs) what I'm interested in and what comes my way. But The Holiday Swap was a book that came out of a conversation I had with my co-author, Marissa Stapley. And we co-wrote this book together under a pen name because we were both working on other projects. And so we needed to have a pen name for these stories. But it really started two years ago, 2019, around now, as a conversation about how isolated we were feeling in our individual book journeys. And I was about to go out on promotion with Recipe for Perfect Wife. And she was working on her recent book on her edits. And so we had this conversation like, oh, what if we could switch or, and you could do the thing I don't want to do. And I could do the thing you don't want to do. And then we could collaborate and you know, it wouldn't be so isolating. And so it started as this sort of farce a little bit. Like maybe we should write a book together. Oh, okay. If we wrote a book together, what would we do? And then we wanted to choose something that was completely different from anything we have ever written before. We both write similar type stories, women's journeys, women's fiction, commercial fiction stuff. It was almost the holidays. And I was deeply into the holiday rom-coms on Netflix and everywhere else, Hallmark. And so we are like, well, what about a holiday romance. Everyone loves those. That will make us happy. It will make other people happy. And that is just what happened. And then two years later, it's now been out for a month and a bit doing great. And yeah, we're just finishing up our second one. So it was not a journey I ever expected to take, you know, similar to my nonfiction. Mm -hmm. um, I just sometimes things appear and you have to, you have to see where they lead. And then you end up with four books that have to be worked on all at the same time, which is
0: not something I would recommend during a pandemic. It's so funny to me to hear that from you because the 4% fix is really about tightening down your schedule and narrowing, you know, what's important to you and squeezing out that extra time in your day. And Mm so to hear you say, but then there's something, Oh, this opportunity comes and I'm gonna take it. You know, I'm gonna do this. We're gonna try this, something that I've never done before. So I think it's really interesting that you're able to balance those two parts of your persona, your psyche, that yes, I'm gonna yeah. be really spontaneous, but I'm also going to protect my time.
1: Yeah. And I actually don't know that I'm really spontaneous. I'm quite a planner and I like to be organized about things, which is partly why, you know, with my five AM wakeups and my writing schedule that I do in the morning and that time I've given myself early in the morning to do that. It's very Very scheduled. And I have gotten it to the point where I don't even need an alarm anymore and I just wake up because it's such a habit for me. But I am insatiably curious. And so if given the opportunity to explore something, particularly with writing, the idea of writing the same book but just in a different way doesn't really appeal to me. And I know that for a lot of authors, that is what works for them and that's what they want to do. They have a formula that just is a a perfect solution for them. And for me, I just don't, do I get bored? I don't know what it is. I'm just curious. And so I say yes to things that maybe if I had the time to go into the future, I would be like, well, that may not be the best yes to say right now, because (laughs) it's going to mean everything is all happening at the same time, right? And then if you're a planner, that throws you into a state of chaos. I think part of the reason I do write all these books and say yes to things is this habit of my early morning writing and and that idea of just saying yes and trying new things and always being willing to try something new. And then you learn whether it's something you want to do again or not.
0: Well, I don't want to give too much away. I think listeners really need to just go out and get the 4% fix or listen to the audio I'd like to know how the 4% fix works with your writing.
1: With the 4% fix for people who may not know anything about it, it is the idea that you rise early, if possible, to find a chunk of time that you didn't know that you had or you hadn't been using before to do something that you've always wanted to do. Maybe it's a passion project or something else that, that you've been curious about. And you find that chunk of time there. So you're you're not really squeezing more time out of your day. You're reprioritizing how you're using your time and Giving yourself an hour or even 20 minutes at the beginning of your day before everyone else needs you or at the end of the day means that you may actually, you know, have that wonderful opportunity to do something just for yourself. In terms of my own process and how that works... When I'm writing a story, it usually comes from just an idea that I've had for a book. And then I spend some time with that idea and I let it percolate and I think about it. I'll do some research. I don't outline as much as I do a synopsis. I was having a conversation with my writing friends the other day about the difference between a synopsis and an outline. And for me, a synopsis is the rundown of the book's plot. You know, you mentioned a few of the characters, but you're reading it through as though, By the time you get to the end of it, you understand what the book is about uh, overall, whereas the outline is more like chapter by chapter what's happening with these characters what's happening with these plots so I do a synopsis, then if I feel I'm ready, and I can see my three acts and I can see where my characters motivations are then I will sit down and start writing. And I use my 5 a.m. time for the really creative parts of the story. And I don't use it to do my other authorly work, which of course, you know, are things like answering emails and Q&As. I use it for just the writing flow. I don't edit. I just let it all come out. So it's a much more creative time than a lot of my other writing time, which you know, other writers will understand that when you write, it's not always the same experience, depending on where you are in a book or where you are in your process. So that was a very long answer. I hope I
0: answered the question. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, it, so you get up at five <laughs> and write. How long do you write?
1: Well, it really depends. I mean, ideally I get two hours of uninterrupted time and sometimes that works and sometimes it doesn't. You know, I have a daughter who needs to get up and go to school. So usually then I have to switch from writer hat to mom hat at some point, but she's older now. So that does make it easier. It used to be a lot more complicated, but yeah, I try to get about two hours. How long does it take you to finish that first manuscript? totally depends. If I'm diligently working on it, and I really can harness that time in the morning for the creative aspects, then I can do it in like three or four months if I have a really good vision and outline and for, for what that book needs to look like. And then revision takes two to three times as long at least. But some books have taken five years because I've been working on them in between other stories. Like Recipe for a Perfect Wife was one that I wrote over probably five years.
0: I'm so um, glad you brought that one up. you can go out it. in my backyard and work in my garden without feeling <laughs> like I need Recipe for a Perfect Wife in my headphones because for a season, every time I'd go out to work on that, that was the book that I would listen to. And I fell yeah. in love with that. I guess you could say it's dual timeline. It um, is dual so timeline. Yeah, it's really, you're writing two books. Yes. And merging yeah, they them. And then have to, have to link
1: together. I love reading dual timeline and dual narrative. And I really like writing it too, because you have the opportunity to jump in and out of one character into another, into another timeline. But it also comes with the challenge of, I would jump then into the fifties again, and I would have to get reset into my fifties mentality and remember the language is different, the culture is different the foods they're eating are different. I just wrote my next one that comes after recipe, which is called What Wild Women Do. And it's another dual timeline, dual narrative set in present day and the 1970s. That book, I wrote the contemporary character all the way through, even though they're linked. And then I wrote the 70s character all the way through. And in some ways that was easier because I could stay in the era that I was in and it just the momentum was a bit smoother, but every book's different. I don't know that I have one process that I follow every time, except that I am diligent about my butt in my seat. That's my process. My butt goes in my seat and it only leaves it when I'm done (laughs) what I needed to be done that day.
0: Do you physically go to your office for those two hours or are you one of these people that just grabs the laptop while you're crawling out of bed? That's me.
1: I use my office more for the daytime work as the other work that I need. In the morning, I get my coffee. I sit on the couch with my dog. And that's where I work in the morning where I write. So in my office, I don't know. There's other distractions. There's something about being in here that reminds me of, oh, I've got to do that. And write. there's the note that I have to follow up on. So (laughs) it's great to have. But I find that for the creative process, it can be a little um, distracting.
0: Distracting. Yeah. Yeah. You've written things that are very different. What is that something special readers will always get when reading a Karma Brown book? Well, that's a good question. I'm trying to even think if I can come up with an answer. I mean, I have heard that no matter
1: what book I have written, my voice is always there. And so in the 4% fix, I have friends who have known me for a long time, who have read it and said, I could hear you. I could feel you on my shoulder and I could hear you on my shoulders, you know, telling me all of those things in that voice that you use in that tone that you use. I don't know. That's such a, I mean, you might have to ask someone who
0: reads my books. I well, know. I read your book. So I was gonna say I, when you said you what didn't is know, it? I was gonna say I was gonna say honesty. You yeah. are very like this is the way it is. And even in your fiction, I feel like you present the story without us having to, I don't want to say work hard because it's not the you don't hand us an easy story. That's not what I'm saying. Yeah. But you you don't make us like jump through hurdles to figure out where we're going. You give us a good layout of here's where we're gonna go. Trust me, let's go. And yeah, there's no hesitation. And I, I appreciate that.
1: Yeah, I think I am encouraging and bossy. And I like to be as encouragingly bossy as I can be in all aspects of life. So maybe that comes through a little bit with that honesty and that that self-assuredness about where I'm trying to take you.
0: You get us there and we like it. The ride is good. <laughs> the ride is good. So, good. How do you navigate both spaces, fiction and nonfiction?
1: Well, I didn't have to do it for long. And I do think that I am a one and done when it comes to nonfiction. Um, But it was not easy. You know, I think that the fiction and for me writing that 4% fix, I mind a lot of my personal life. I mind difficult situations that I've been in and a lot of the things that I have learned in my 49 years. And it was so personal in a lot of ways that I found being that vulnerable with some of those pieces of me was really hard more than I expected. I mean, I have written magazine articles that have had personal angles before. And so I have put myself out there in a lot of different ways and even tougher ways. In some cases, I once wrote a story about a nudist resort and I went to the resort for the day and took all my clothes off and spent the day there (laughs) nude. And then I wrote about it. So It's not that I'm not used to being vulnerable, but there was something about spending all that time in that space and then just putting it out that I found really disarming. And for me with fiction, you know, as you know, you're making up a story, like this is a world that you're creating. Even if it exists in our world, it's still characters that you have created out of your mind. And you are that, you know, one step removed from the story. And a question I get a lot is, well, are you in that story? Like how much of you is in Alice and Rescue? for perfect wife and truthfully basically none. Sometimes I'll have musings that I'll put in, in yeah. into a character's thoughts, but they're completely on their own, you know? So trying to find that balance, it was hard. It was weird. And I don't think I always did it all that well. I had to focus on one and then focus on the other because they were just so different. Like for my 4% fixed book, I could not write it at 5 a.m. It never was written at 5 a.m. And I think it's partly because you don't get into a creative flow. That the same way with nonfiction. It's a very different world. And so I would save that for the
0: afternoon and I would work on my fiction in the morning. When you're writing fiction, you're doing the pre-manuscript synopsis. Are you doing that at five in the morning? No. So that is just for writing. That is just for writing.
1: And if I'm not actively writing something, unless I'm on a really tight deadline and then I use every hour that I possibly have. Like, let's be honest, you know, 5 a.m. is not just this glory time where I am sipping my coffee and letting all the words fall out (laughs) of me. Sometimes I'm working on other things because I have to be, or sometimes I'm reading, you know, at five with my coffee. I'm really sleeping, sadly. I wish I could sleep in sometimes. I want that as a superpower on a Sunday. But it's not for me apparently anymore. So, usually I'm reading if I'm not actively writing. So, the books that I have most been able to read are horror. I've also read some rom coms, which part of that was research, but also for enjoyment. Like right now, I'm rereading The Shining at Bed. I was just talking to my agent. Oh my. So <laughs> my. I said I'm reading the Shining right now, bedtime, but I love horror. So, for me, that is fun and I don't really get scared.
0: Y'all, you know I'm a big fan of Apricot Lane Peoria's huge selection of the latest styles. All of it at price points that don't break my budget. Because come on, keeping up shouldn't require a major investment. At Apricot Lane Peoria's easy-to-use website, that's apricotlanepeoria.com, you'll find sharp clothes, shoes, and accessories. Let them give you a hand with those last-minute holiday gifts. My favorite is the Sid and Stone throw blanket. It's soft, cozy, and bound to make a statement in your home. I love snuggling up with mine. Visit apricotlanepeoria.com and pick out your favorites. And for a limited time, use discount code LOVEJOY20, that's L-O-V-E-J-O-Y, zero and receive 20% off your purchase. Discount applies to item purchases and may not apply to shipping charges. Before it's too late, visit apricotlanepeoria.com and send gifts your loved ones are sure to cherish. Now let's get back to the writing table podcast. When I
1: first started writing, I really, I didn't know a lot of other writers because I I knew some magazine writers, but I wasn't in the author world. So I was feeling fairly isolated with my first novel. And then I met a group of women. Uh, We call ourselves The Coven. We're local to Toronto and we write different things. And some of us also work in magazine and are journalists, but we are each other's touchstones, really in this business. And I have a group of other writer friends in the US and we're on text basically every day. I mean, it's such a strange business and there are so many ups and downs. And I think that for an outsider, once they see that you've had a hit book, then like you've made it right. And every book after that is going to do well and be on a bestseller list. And you you Mm -hmm. really can't count on anything. So having people who understand that, who know exactly what it means when you're talking about You know, your edit, your first edit versus your first draft, or waiting on submission, or whatever, wherever you are in the process, having other people who know what that means, like on a deep emotional level, (laughs) instead of just, oh, I understand what it means to be on submission. Well, if you've never been on submission, you don't actually understand what it feels like to be on submission, Right. right? So that has been crucial, I think, to feeling like I can keep my head above water in this industry.
0: I rely on these women. lot. Um, And you make a really good point because it it is funny how you have people that will say, oh, well, you know, you're published. So it's, all the work is done now. <laughs> and, Although, no, and
1: then that it's never done.
0: Like you do your first
1: book and then you think, well, now I know how to write a book. And then you go to write your second book and you realize you don't know how to write a book and you're figuring out again. And then, I mean, I'm writing my, I don't even know, seventh, eighth, one right now. And there's still times where I get back to it and I think, I don't know what I'm doing. I don't remember how to do this, but then you do, you get back into it and you remember
0: you hit that about a third the way in, you're like, all right, I guess I can take this a little further. You know,
1: yeah, and but you then to the you hit the middle, and, it's, and then it's yeah, mucky, then and then you're like, oh. Nothing's happening. What's happening? I just want to get to the next thing that's supposed to be happening. So, Save the Cat Writes a Novel is one of the best books that I have found as a resource book for how to really prepare in advance. I mean, it probably will only work for people who are plotters or who at least have some inclination to plotting, but it forces you to go through that three act structure in your book and to really get clear about your character motivations and the internal and external conflicts. And so that by the time you sit down to write, it, you've done a lot of that hard thinking about what has to happen so that it's easier to just let the story flow. And I used it for my most recent novel and it completely changed the first draft process for me. It made it just smooth and fast. I still have to do a lot of editing, but yeah. There's a screenwriting book called Save the Cat. So it's based off of that, but it's specifically for novelists.
0: In your view, what is good writing?
1: One, it's writing that appears effortless, which is very hard to do. But Mm -hmm. when you read something and it just feels like this perfect piece of prose, that is good writing because you know a lot of work went into that. But mostly it's any writing that makes you feel something, whether it makes you angry or happy or sad, you know, or scared. I think it's anything that just jumpstarts an emotion is what I would consider to be good writing.
0: What is the best writing advice you've received?
1: Best writing advice I have received is not to read your Goodreads or Amazon reviews. That is the best piece of advice I have received. And I do try to pass that on. I think giving advice is tricky because everyone's so different and what works for one person doesn't work for another, but back to my button seat. If you can't put your butt in your seat, I mean, ultimately it is a job and you just have to get the words down. And I personally don't believe in writer's block. I know there's a lot of controversy about whether writer's block is real or not. I, I know that you can feel blocked, but I believe it comes from other things. Like you have to rethink that part of your story or you need to go for a walk, whatever it is. But, you know, I know that people can get blocked, but I think that if you have your butt in your seat and you're committed to doing the work, then the book will get written. It will get written. So, yeah, don't, gosh, don't read the Goodreads reviews. Those reviews are for other readers, they're not for authors. And you can see a wonderful five star, but then it's right beside a one star. And please don't ever tag authors in less oh. than lovely reviews for anyone who might feel that they want to provide some constructive criticism via Instagram. We don't need it. The book is published, can't be changed. It's generally, we're pretty good with what's gone out there. So, Yeah.
0: Thank you so much, Karma. This has been a lot of fun.
1: Thank you. It was great chatting with you. To learn more,
0: visit karmabrown.com. Music by Pavel Yudin and photography by Casey Meineke. If you like what you're hearing, hit the subscribe button and consider leaving a review.